Today on Know the Truth, a new lesson from Philip DeCourcy. Look, if you want to be used for God, don't worry about being brilliant. Don't worry about being eloquent, able, educated, relevant. Worry about being holy. Worry about having a life marked by integrity and character because that's what matters in the things of God. Welcome to Know the Truth. I'm Wayne Shepherd. When it comes to living a life worthy of God's use, we often wonder if we have enough talent and charm or education to do so. But today, Philip DeCourcy exposes this false notion and brings us to God's Word for the truth. It's a brand new lesson on what it really takes to live a life fit for use. It's a message from the Without Apology series. If you'd like to revisit the series, you can listen anytime at ktt.org or on the KTT app or podcast. Now, with today's message, here's Philip. Just recently, I was reading the story of Bishop Taylor. Bishop Taylor was a bachelor bishop within the Church of England several, several years ago. He was well known throughout the British Isles. He often spoke at the Keswick conferences in England. And on one particular preaching tour, he was staying with a kind Christian woman who offered him hospitality. And following a very hearty dinner, she gave him a ripe and juicy apple for dessert. And with the apple, she gave him a fruit knife. But this thing turned out to be rather blunt and ill-fitted for the job. And he was trying to peel off the skin with not much success. And so he turned to his hostess, and with a twinkle in his eye, he said, you know what? This knife is just like so many Christians I know, stainless but useless. <laughs> what an awful thought, a useless Christian. There are no more tragic words than a useless Christian. Because think about the implication of that phrase, a useless Christian. It speaks of a life purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, beloved of God, and yet living for a purpose other than God's glory and kingdom usefulness. What a tragedy, what a travesty, what a transgression. We should be driven and defined by a burning desire to be used by God. Whatever the place, whatever the plan, whatever the price. We want to redeem the time, don't we? We want to discover what the will of God is and do it. Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17. We want to yield our body as a living sacrifice to God, that we might prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. That's what we want to do with our lives. We want to be instruments, vessels, useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. And so I want us to come and look at this passage, 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 through 21, because here Paul describes the kind of person that God uses, someone fit, suitable for Jesus' use. I know that's what you want. That's what I want. We know that we often fall short of that. We know that we've got room to make up in the pursuit of that, but our heart's desire is to live a life of usefulness. Now listen to this, guys, as we get into the text. 
the instruction of this text and the implication of this text is that God uses cleansed vessels. Those who flee sin and those who pursue godliness. That's clear from the text. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some of honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful, prepared. And then he goes on to say, flee youthful lusts, pursue righteousness. Look, if you want to be used for God, don't worry about being brilliant. Don't worry about being eloquent, able, educated, relevant. Worry about being holy. Worry about being clean. Worry about having a life marked by integrity and character. Because that's what matters in the things of God. And so let's come and look at our text. Let me just put it in its context. Paul is introducing to us another image if you've been following me along in 2 Timothy, you'll know that Paul has introduced several images that speak of Christian leadership and Christian service. He has talked about the Christian being a trustee, a teacher, a soldier, an athlete, a farmer, a workman, and now a vessel, an instrument in God's hands. And that vessel or that instrument has to be clean. In fact, that's the thought that surrounds this idea of the clean vessel. Look at verse 19. Where does it finish? Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's a call to holiness. Then scroll down to verse 22. Flee youthful lusts, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with all those who call on the Lord Jesus with a pure heart. And so the context is a life that's serviceable to God is one that departs from iniquity, is cleansed by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, and is a life in pursuit of righteousness. So three things I want us to see, the picture, the purge, the pursuit. Let's look at the picture, the picture of a vessel, one of the many images employed by Paul in 2 Timothy. Now, like every good preacher, Paul borrows pictures from everyday life to connect with people and to connect spiritual truth with everyday life. Remember the Lord Jesus would often use a phrase, something like this, and the kingdom of God is like. And then he would draw something from life and then he would connect it to the kingdom of God. And Paul is a good preacher and he likes to turn ears into eyes. And so he takes this image of the vessel, the, the utensil that you'll find in a great house. And that image is plain and simple and accessible. We can identify with this. And look what he says. In a great house, in a mansion, you're going to find two kinds of vessels. The Greek word can be translated utensil also, or an instrument. And he says, typically in a house, there's two kinds of vessels or instruments. There's the honorable instrument or vessel, and there's the dishonorable instrument or vessel. And the idea behind that is there's the vessel that's precious, and there's the vessel that's common. And so the idea would be this, kind of to go to the extremes of what Paul is talking about. In a big house, you could find on the one hand gold and silver goblets out of which people would drink wine and it would be set before a guest as an offer of hospitality. There might be a vessel that's an ornament and it's precious, it's a family heirloom, it's honorable. It's esteemed and considered valuable within the house. On the other end of it, you'd have wooden buckets. They would carry out 
family rubbish or human waste. That's a dishonorable vessel, an unclean vessel. And so Paul draws this analogy, and it's quite simple. But the issue for us is, now, what's he talking about? What's he getting at here? Well, I would say this. In the context, he's drawn a distinction between a good leader and a bad leader. The distinction between the honorable vessel and the dishonorable vessel is the distinction between the good leader and the bad leader, the faithful teacher and the false teacher. Remember when we were together the last time we looked at the preceding verses? And here Paul warns about false teachers in verse 16 who advance profane and idle babbling, who increase ungodliness, whose message spreads like a cancer, verse 17. And then he names them. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort, who, having strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection has already passed, have overcome the faith of some. They're bad. Bad teachers who teach bad teaching that's bad for the church. They're dishonorable. They're useless to the church, even dangerous to the church. But you, Timothy, you be a vessel, you be an instrument in God's hands that's holy and serviceable and one who, according to verse 15, rightly divides the word of truth. So that's the distinction that's being made. And that would remind us just by the way that the visible church sometimes there's a mixed bag. It's often a messy place. As much as we seek to guard the purity of the church, Paul seems to be at least admitting that at times the church can be made up of people of varying spiritual commitments and level of spirituality. It can even be a place that suffers the incursion of false teachers and heretics. In fact, one anonymous critic said of the church, the church today is like Noah's Ark. If it weren't for the storm on the outside, you couldn't stand the stench on the inside. Well, I think that's a bridge too far. That's too harsh. But it is a recognition that at times, even inside the church, you can be dealing with the honorable and the dishonorable. And that seems to be the case here. Now, let's move on to what we call the purge. So we've kind of set up now the picture. Paul has drawn a distinction between the honorable vessel and the dishonorable vessel within the context. We've got to assume that he's dealing with, hey, Timothy, you be an honorable leader, not a dishonorable leader. And then he goes on to tell Timothy how that can come about. So we move from the picture to the purge. Although a chosen vessel, Timothy had to make a choice, and it was to choose to be cleansed and clean. Look at verse 21. He's picking up the image of the picture, and now he's taken it to its logical conclusion. You want to be an honorable vessel, a clean vessel. Therefore, cleanse yourself from the latter, from the dishonorable, and be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. See, the man matters in ministry. If you're in leadership, your character, your integrity, your life counts. And so much the more in the Christian ministry. You've got to model your message. You've got to live what you teach. And holiness is required above everything else. That's why when you go to 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 7, and Titus 1, 6 to 9, where you have the qualifications of a pastor, I mean, that should be the head of the list of any pastoral search committee. Is he like this? And the first thing 
to be said of him is he's to be blameless. That doesn't mean sinless. It means but a life without controversy. He's a Teflon man. Nothing sticks to him in terms of accusations or scandal because he's got a life of integrity, a life underwritten by a good and godly character. And that's what Timothy is to aspire to. He's to cleanse himself, purge himself. In fact, this is a Greek word that gives us our English word catharsis. If someone has a cathartic experience, it's something that indeed cleanses them emotionally. Some moment that their life turns in a better direction, they have a cathartic moment. That's our word. It speaks of thorough cleansing, a thorough scrubbing, a thorough purging. This is a strong verb. And Paul is saying, Timothy, you need to purge yourself of that which is dishonorable. Now, we've already identified what the dishonorable is, at least in the immediate context. It's false teachers and false teaching. And that always leads to false behavior. If you listen to a false teacher and you follow what he teaches, you'll end up doing the wrong thing. And so Timothy is to purge himself of false teachers and false teaching. He's to rightly divide the word of truth. He's to live it so that he might be in a state of godliness, cleanliness, and holiness. There's an interesting verse in Isaiah 52, verse 11. Write it down. I'll read it for you. But it's so appropriate to what we're talking about. Here's, Here's what the Lord says to his people. Depart, depart. Get out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. We need to get serious about sin. That's what basically Paul is saying. Get serious about cleansing yourself of indwelling sin and pockets of disobedience and resistance in your life. Get serious about it. Don't play with it. Don't toy with it. You've heard me tell the story again and again, but it's appropriate here of the guy who gets up every Wednesday night at the prayer meeting and says, oh God, would you blow the cobwebs from my heart? You know, he's asking for a change. He wants a fresh start with God. Oh God, oh God, blow the cobwebs from my heart. He says it every single week and he's praying for change, but there never seems to come any change to a point where one brother on a Wednesday night follows him after he has prayed, Lord, blow the cobwebs from my heart. He stands up and says, Lord, kill the spider. (laughs) Let's get down to business. Enough talk. Let's really blow the cobwebs from our hearts. Get to the issue, kill the spider. And sometimes we can, you know, pietistically ask the Lord to cleanse us. And, oh, God, I want to be a better man. I want to follow Jesus Christ. And that's great, guys. But sometimes it's just words. Where's the killer instinct? Where's the desire to put the flesh to death? That's what Paul's after here. You know what? What I find encouraging about this, Paul is speaking into the life of a minister who's already serving the Lord with some effectiveness, but there comes this fresh call, this fresh challenge to be more than you are. Oh, Timothy, purge yourself, son. And guys, I know many of you, and you encourage me because you are seeking to follow the Lord and you're seeking to be men of God. But here comes a challenge to you and me, no matter how long we're in Christ and how down the path of discipleship we have traveled, here's a new call to be more than you are so that you might be more than you've been. That's the call. Someone has said, I love this, no one can go back and have a new beginning, but everyone can start now and have a new ending. 
That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Let me say that again. No one can go back and have a new beginning, but anyone and everyone can start now and have a new ending. That's true of your family, your marriage, your walk with God. We need to purge ourselves. Now, if we will purge ourselves, it'll show up in several things. Let's just look at this description of the purged life. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, that's the dishonorable, he will be a vessel of honor. Now, notice this, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Let's unpack those for a few minutes. The word sanctified is in the perfect tense in the Greek. It means a past action with continuing results. You could translate it, having been sanctified. And see, when you and I get saved, when you and I put our trust in Jesus Christ, at that moment, we become sanctified or we are sanctified. It's a position. Listen to what we read in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2. To the church of God, which is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who are in every place called in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Same kind of thought in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, where we are sanctified by the Spirit the moment we get saved. Now, where does the word sanctified mean? At its root, it's very simple. It means to be set apart. Set apart. So when you and I seek to cleanse our lives, it's because we want to be set apart for God's use. That's why, you know, the clothing of the high priest, the furniture of the tabernacle were called holy. Not because the cloth was holy. The thread was, you know, better thread than any other thread. It was that that tunic was used for a special purpose. That furniture was used for a special purpose. Maybe the best way to think about this and just get this idea in your head. You go out tonight to a restaurant here in Anaheim Hills or whatever. And you walk in, look at a table, and you get your eye on a nice table. Maybe you want to be over in the corner with your wife or your friend, a bit of quietness. But you go over there, and what's sitting on the desk but a sign that says what? Reserved. You can't touch it. You might want it, but you can't have it. Because that's reserved. That's been set aside. That's been sanctified for another family or another couple. Hey, you go into Ashley Furniture, you've been looking in their catalog or whatever, and you've got your sights on a nice dining set or a bedroom set, and you walk over, and you know what? You find out that there's only one set left, but to your disappointment, again, there's a piece of paper sitting on the table, and it says, reserve. Can't have it. Somebody else got it. It's been purchased. It's theirs. It belongs to them. You can argue all you want, but you're not getting it. It's reserved. That's the idea. And I think about that. It's a great image, and it's a simple image, and it's something that should you meditate upon every day. Every day you waking up, if you're a man who desires to be used by the master, you need to be sanctified. You need to say to yourself, I'm reserved for the purposes of extending God's kingdom. That's what my life is about. I'm going to use my life to this special end. Secondly, not only a life that is sanctified, a life that is useful for the master. That's the next phrase. The adjective here speaks of that which is easily used or that which is serviceable. In fact, this word will be used if you go to the end of this book, chapter 4 and verse 11. We read of Paul's imprisonment. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. Now, that wasn't always the case. In fact, Paul had a party with Barnabas over this young guy. 
for a time in his life, Mark was a bit of a mommy's boy and went home in the middle of ministry. And Paul said, hey, ministry's too tough. We can't have this guy. He's a liability. And Barnabas says, hey, Paul, have you forgot we're all weak and we can become strong? Let's nurture him. And there was a bit of a disagreement, all of that. When you get to the end of 2 Timothy, Paul's last letter, something has transpired. Either Mark has got better, Paul has kind of softened on the issue, maybe a bit of both. And he says, hey, go and get Mark. He is serviceable. He is useful. It's a wonderful thought. Here's the idea. A life that God can pick up and use. Is yours a life that God at any moment can pick up and use? Is it clean enough? Are you prayed up? Are you in the Word? Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you under biblical leadership? Are you part of a local church? Is yours a life that's serviceable, usable? You're listening to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy and a challenging message titled Fit for Use. If you joined us late today, be sure to catch up on this lesson by downloading the KTT app or podcast. Just search your favorite app store or podcast platform for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy or listen online to ktt.org. And yes, Pastor Philip will be back in a moment, so please stick around. At Know the Truth, it's our mission to share the gospel with a world in need of truth. And one of the ways we do this is by providing resources that helps believers grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and in their daily walk of faith with Him. This month, we're excited to make another practical tool available to you, hand-selected by Pastor Philip. So, Philip, why don't you tell us a bit about this month's resource? We and I'd love to. We put a great deal of effort into selecting resources for our truth ambassadors, resources that will be useful tools for our listeners. And this month, we have selected a book called Living by God's Promises by Joel Beakey and James LaBelle. This book draws from the stellar Puritan writings on the divine promises of God. It's a book written in contemporary language for today's readers. I've read it. I loved it. It reminded me of the great and exceeding promises of God that Peter talks about. It reminded me of something that Adoniram Judson said as a missionary to Burma, that the future is as bright as the promises of God. We have wonderful promises in the gospel that bring confidence, assurance, and energy to our daily lives. And I can't wait for our truth ambassadors to get their hands on this book. Talking about truth ambassadors, let me share a prayer. And we're praying as a team that God would indeed expand the team of truth ambassadors who commit to regularly and monthly giving toward this ministry, which is so important. Would you consider joining the team? In addition to the book, Living by God's Promises, we'll send you a welcome package, some of my own books. You'll be put onto the list of recipients for our quarterly Accord newsletter. And on top of all of that, we'll send you a custom shirt with Know the Truth, a reminder that you are a faithful member of our team and we're in this together. Without you, there is no us. Wayne, will you tell them how to get in touch? Sure, I'd be happy to, Philip. To become a Truth Ambassador, you can reach out today to Know the Truth at 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. As a thank you for your monthly partnership or gift of any amount, you'll receive Living by God's Promises. This encouraging book provides rich content that will equip Christians to live with confidence, assurance, and energy daily. Just call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. 
And should you decide to become a Truth Ambassador in January, you'll receive the brand new Know the Truth shirt as a wearable reminder of our special partnership. You'll also receive a welcome package from Pastor Philip with newly written books, quarterly newsletters, and other exclusive benefits designed just for Truth Ambassadors. Once again, call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. If you'd prefer to write, address your envelope to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. One more thing, if you're new to Know the Truth, we have a welcome gift for you. It's a devotional booklet called Resting in God's Daily Sufficiency. Learn more and request your copy at ktt.org. Well, this is Wayne Shepherd signing off for now, but join us again next time for more bold biblical teaching from Philip DeCourcy, right here on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free.